to God's greater story in the midst of being a part of a denomination called the Church of the Nazarene. And so today, we're going to start with our heritage, or uh, as I would prefer to open with, you know, that, 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 that crawl of dialogue that is, that is preceded by the phrase, a long time ago, and a galaxy far, far away. No, not really, but anyways. So we're going to talk about heritage and kind of where we come from, where we've, where we've been, where we're going. And so here's the thing about heritage. Every single one of us have a heritage. You have people uh, that you came from, and every single one of us does. So how many of you are into, like, ancestry, finding out who you belong to and all that kind of stuff? Several people. Did you know that you can go to Petco and buy a kit to find the ancestry of your dog? I mean, it's like 80 bucks to find out. We really would like to know what our, our two little dogs are a mix of a bunch of things, and we'd love to know exactly what that is, but I'm not going to pay $80 a dog to find out what they really are. They're kind of, you know, they're, they're mutts and we love them. But every one of us has a heritage, and so I'm going to share a little bit of my heritage with you, my faith her- heritage in particular, and when I do, just maybe think about kind of your faith her- heritage. And so... For us, um, I, first I want to introduce you to my family. You, you know most of my family. The, the two you don't know uh, from my family are the two on the right, which is my son Tucker and his wife Alexis. They got married in June. They still live in Oregon. You obviously have met Cody and Dawson on the left and then Quinlan in the middle there and us uh, together. So every one of us has a heritage, a faith family heritage, a family heritage, um, I want to talk to you today about my faith heritage, because every single one of us have one. Um, so I didn't grow up in the church. My grandparents were Baptists, Southern Baptists. When we went to visit them in Arkansas, we would go to church with them. Um, and church was never a positive experience for me uh, growing up. And the only time I ever went was when we were with our uh, grandparents in Arkansas. In fact, we weren't even what we call, uh, have you ever heard the term creasters? people that come to church on just Christmas and Easter. We weren't even priesters. I mean, we didn't, my parents, we didn't go to church at all. Um, after I got married in 1993, uh, about seven years later into marriage, uh, Kristen really wanted for us to, to go to church. She actually had started going to a, a weekly Bible study, and uh, a gal in her group had invited us to go to church uh, at this Nazarene church that happened to host uh, the Bible study she was going to. And so on Easter Sunday, uh, and, uh, so April 23rd, 2000, my little family, uh, Kristen and I, and you can see Dawson when she was really little, and my son Tucker when he was about uh, four. Uh, so Tucker's about four, almost four, and uh, Dawson was about 18 months old. And so we went to church uh, for the first time on April 23rd, 2000. Two days later, I was saving in the back of my Airmark laundry truck. You guys know that story. And we just immediately jumped into this church. We had found a faith family. And it was awesome that we had found this faith family. And, and the interesting thing about finding a faith family is some of our other family members were kind of resentful of our faith family. They thought we'd kind of, for, we'd let go a bunch of them and join this other group. And, and we, we were part of this Church of the Nazarene. And, and, and honestly, at the very beginning, people thought we'd joined a cult. that the Church of the Nazarene was a cult. And let me tell you today, the Church of the Nazarene is not a cult. 
So if anybody's ever said, we're, yeah, you just go to a cult, um, we're not part of a cult. And so we started going to church uh, at Eugene First Church of the Nazarene, and Chris and I dove in. We got really, really involved right away. Before I knew it, I was teaching a four-year-old Sunday school class, um, serving in the youth ministry. Kristen was working. She was paid staff in the nursery, and we were just, we were just all in right off the bat. In fact, we were so all in that on June 11th, the picture on the right hand, Kristen and I were baptized together, and that was probably one of the greatest experiences of my life. So we were baptized together. A few months later, I just started sensing God was calling me to something more, and and I was sitting in church on a Sunday night, and um, our district superintendent was there sharing, and I heard the audible voice of God tell me, he said, Scott, I want, you to, I want you to tell your story of how I changed your life for as many, to as many people as you can for as long as you can for the rest of your life. And it was in that evening service that I sensed that God was calling me to full-time ministry. Now, that was in Ju- July. That was in July of, of 2000. And I didn't talk about this to anyone else for another three months. I just kind of wrestled with this for a long time. And um, I, I, I just couldn't wrap my brain around becoming a pastor b- based on who I was before Christ and even who I was in Christ at the time. I couldn't wrap my brain around how it would all work. And so I struggled, and, and I really wrestled with God. And, and I just remember there was an October day I went to work, and I was just, I was, I was still working at Aramark, and I was just, I was in turmoil, um, and I was saved, and everything was going good, and I was growing in the Lord, but I was just, I was just, something was just off. I couldn't, I was just restless. I couldn't, I, I'd been wrestling with God, and I just couldn't settle. I was not settled. And so I got my laundry truck that morning, loaded it up, and I, I headed off on the road, and um, God said to me again, he spoke audibly, and he said, Scott, I want you to turn everything off today. Just shut everything off and listen to me. You and I are going to have a conversation all day long. I want you to eliminate every single distraction. So I did. I turned off my radio. I had a big boom box mounted on the wall in my truck, and I, and I would blast Christian music all day long. And so I turned that off. Um, whenever I went into my customers, I, I'm a very social person. I would always spend a few minutes visiting. I didn't do any visiting that day. I just went in, did my thing, and, and left. And I just stayed really, really silent before the Lord and just listened to him all day long. By the end of the day, God said, Scott, this is what I'm calling you to do. What are you going to do? Are you going to be all in or are you not? And by the end of that day, God and I had settled it. I was going to answer this call to be a pastor. And so I came home and I walked into the, to the kitchen where Kristen was and I said, hey, honey, I've been wrestling with this thing for a while, but I really believe that God has called me to be a pastor. And she said, you know, I can see it. I can totally see it. And so then I shared with another pastor. And they said, yep, we can see it. We've kind of known this for a while. And another pastor and another pastor. And that began a journey for me where I started to go to school at Nazarene Bible College online. And it took me a long time to get through this process. But eventually... um, August, in August of 2011, I was ordained as an elder in the Church of the Nazarene. And these, these are pictures of my ordination service. I was ordained on the Prairie Lakes District Church of the Nazarene. This is in Alexandria, Minnesota. Um, and the DS that uh, was the general superintendent who ordained me was a guy named Stan Toller, Dr. Stan Toller. He has since uh, passed away, 
but super awesome guy, great experience in our lives uh, to be ordained. It was kind of the, the end of a long journey for me. And ordination, for ordination, what ordination means to a pastor is it is kind of the, the final seal of approval that our church puts on a pastor after they've completed their education and after they've completed a certain amount of work experience, uh, time in ministry. And the church puts this you know, kind of official seal on us. And so that's kind of my faith, uh, my faith heritage, just in a little bit of a nutshell. There's always, and obviously there'll be more things to that. Um, but everyone has a heritage. In fact, in Scripture, we're told that uh, in all things, we're to remember what God has done, to recall the faith of those that have gone before us, and to honor the working of God in their lives, uh, and then to see how God worked in their lives and how God can work in ours as well. See, we're to believe that through our obedience that God can move and work today in the same manner that he's worked throughout history. And the reason why uh, looking at our heritage is important and looking at who we are and where we come from is important is because our history is distinct and it's important and who we are is important in fact psalm 61 5 says this for you god have heard my vows you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name which means that everyone that has gone before us in faith has paved the way for what we're doing today and for the opportunities that we have today our heritage is important because it helps us know who we are where we've come from, and remind us of where we're going. So let's do this. Let's define heritage just briefly. So what is heritage anyway? Well, heritage is evidence of the past considered collectively as the inheritance of present-day society. So um, what this means is that the past, for us, is not something we should forget. The past is not something we should neglect to look at. The past isn't something which we should forego because it's just the past or it's too old or we've moved, we're, 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 we're more progressive than the past. The past is actually an inheritance. A couple of weeks ago, Michael asked me to give him kind of the history of Oregon football, the heritage of Oregon football. I'm not going to put you through that today. Uh, I'll just remind you of... of Never mind, I won't remind you. Joey Harrington? Well, Joey, there's several, but anyways, we won't go there. So, anyway, but heritage is important because it's an inheritance. Everything that's happened before us has, that has contributed to where we are today and literally sets the course for where we're going. Have you ever heard this kind of thought? The mercies of God are new every morning. Have you ever heard that? And his working in our lives is never stale or old. So our churches, we can't throw away our history. We can't neglect our history. We have to embrace it because God has used it in a powerful, world, a powerful way to unfold his plan for the world. It puts, it puts God's will and ways in context for all of us. Now, did you know that as Nazarenes, we have a rich heritage? I have, a, I have a quick video that I want you to watch that talks about where we come from. 
No audio? We'll let Bill fiddle for a second. Oh, we probably didn't bring the audio over when we... What do you got? Uh, it should go into the... Is it a USB-C? Oh, there should be an adapter up there somewhere. This is going to really change the, the feel for what we're doing today. Who said that? Luke? You can come up here. I'll make you act it out. Nope. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll skip the video today. Whoops. We went way back. There we go. What you would have seen was a history kind of, of our church uh, through the years, and we'll get that working by next week. But essentially, uh, our church started... Years and years ago, in the post-Civil War, the Church of the Nazarene, um, post-Civil War throughout the United States, there was a holiness revival that started. All through uh, a lot of the, the eastern states and the southern states, I mean, we had just completed the Civil War. So the north and the south had been at war, and now we're, now we're at peace, and God was making a comeback in our nation. There was holiness groups from the from the west in, in California, uh, and there was holiness groups from the north up in the, uh, New York and Massachusetts, and then there was holiness groups in the south. Lots of different uh, holiness perspectives, and they all came together in 1908 in a place called Pilot Point, Texas. And in Pilot Point, Texas, 1908, all of these holiness groups decided that they wanted, that they wanted to, to get together into one unified Church of the Nazarene. And so our birthplace really as a denomination is Pilot Point, Texas, 1908. And you'll get to see a little bit more of that next week, hopefully if we get the uh, video working. But um, as Nazarenes, there are three things, three core values that we have. Number one, we're Christian. And I know that that sounds kind of weird that we would have to say that we are Christian. But the reason why we say that we are Christian is because as a church, we want to very closely identify ourselves with Christ with Jesus. We also want to not neglect the fact that his message and his will and his ways and his word is powerful and we shouldn't depart from it. In fact, the reason why we are part of the Church of the Nazarene is I think, hey, that, okay, let's try it again because the video will do a much better job of telling you who we are. There we go. Yes. In the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Before his ascension, Christ told his followers, Go and make disciples of all nations. The commissioned followers went out into a hostile world and spread the good news through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
the church began to formalize its doctrine, particularly its doctrine of the Trinity, beginning with the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. This was the first ecumenical council. Under the guidance of great leaders known as the Church Fathers, the Christian faith developed a canon of scripture and the Nicene Creed, the church flourished. From the beginning, there were cultural and theological differences between the Greek-speaking churches of the East and the Latin-speaking churches of the West. In 1054, these differences led to a schism that separated the patriarchal center of Rome, which split from the other four established patriarchs. This would form what we know today as the Roman Catholic Church. In the early 16th century, Martin Luther developed a new understanding of the gospel that led to another split in the Western Church. That split led to the creation of many facets of Protestantism. An Englishman named John Wesley transformed the understanding of the faith again with his belief that all Christians could be sanctified wholly. Francis Asbury brought Methodism and its emphasis on holiness to the United States. He planted a seed that would germinate years later. The Wesleyan holiness revival of the mid-19th century nourished the seed that Asbury planted. It emphasized the theology and experience of entire sanctification. Phoebe Palmer was a pivotal leader in this revival. Holiness Christians across the nation had a common faith, but the regional pressures that resulted in the American Civil War caused many churches to split into northern and southern branches. Phineas Brzee, a Methodist minister, experienced the grace of entire sanctification as a pastor in Iowa. Later, when he moved to California, he met others who shared his experience. An ever-growing group of people who shared the vision of organized holiness and helping the poor gathered at the Christmas love feasts that Brzee conducted annually. With Brzee as one of its leaders, the group established itself as a new church in 1895. A Los Angeles physician and educator named J.P. Whitney helped lead this group and suggested the name for the new denomination. Whitney recognized that their mission was the same as the toiling, lowly mission of Jesus of Nazareth. The group adopted the name, the Church of the Nazarene. The new church erected a plain, simple building, which was called the Glory Barn. Brzee believed the poor and all classes of people needed fellowships that would be true community churches, faithful to the gospel witness and the deeper Christian life. One person called the worship services there, the greatest thing you ever saw. Brzee's group merged with other holiness organizations. The first uniting General Assembly was held in Chicago in 1907. H.F. Reynolds, who had ministered in New England and the Mid-Atlantic States, was elected General Superintendent along with Brzee. Reynolds gave great leadership to the United Church of the Nazarene, especially in the area of global missions. Los Angeles Nazarenes were passionate about helping the needy, the dispossessed, and immigrants. May McReynolds led the mission work to the Hispanic people in an arc extending from California to Texas. California Nazarenes also reached out to Japanese and Chinese immigrants in their communities. The groups that united around the Nazarene banner all ordained women. This common thread helped bind them together. Women were ordained in the East in 1892 and in the South in 1899. In the West, Brzee ordained Elsie Wallace of Spokane, Washington in 1902 and Lucy Knott of Los Angeles in 1903. At the 1908 General Assembly in Pilot Point, Texas, the second major merger took place when the Southern Holiness Church of Christ merged with the Nazarenes. 
this was the first church reconciliation of North and South since the great divisions that took place during the Civil War. 1908 stands as the official anniversary date of the Church of the Nazarene. Brzee and Reynolds were re-elected as general superintendents and presided over the Pilot Point Assembly. A third leader was added to general superintendents at this time, E.P. Ellison from the South. While many leaders helped form the Church of the Nazarene, Phineas Brzee, with his broad spirit and unifying ability, stands as the most prominent. So that gives you a, a bigger picture of who we are and where we come from. And like I said before, you know, we're a Christian people, we're a missional people, and we're a holiness people. And what those three things really mean is we, wanted, we want, number one, to identify ourselves with Christ, even in our name. Um, there's two scriptures I wanted to share with you because if you've read your Bible, you un, you, you'll remember, you'll recognize that Jesus is, he's called the Nazarene, right? So when, whenever I told people, yeah, I go to a Nazarene church or I'm a Nazarene pastor and they would look at me funny, I'm like, have you never read your Bible? I mean, that's what they called Jesus. In fact, in Matthew chapter 2, uh, 19 through 23, we read this. It says, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and he said, get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the, dis to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said what was said through the prophets that he, Jesus, would be called a Nazarene. And also in Acts 2, uh, 4 through 6, which I think is a cool little picture because I think it's kind of funny. Um, people are complaining about Jesus and what he's doing. And so in verse 4, it says this, it says, But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. Verse 5 says, We have found this man, talking about Jesus, to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the sect of Nazarenes. So you're part of a ring. You, you, I'm the ringleader of this church of the Nazarene, which is kind of cool. I think that's funny. And so they seize Jesus because he's the ringleader of this sect of Nazarenes. So we find strength in the 16th century English Reformation. We find encouragement as we identify ourselves with the 18th century Wesleyan revival through the preaching of John and Charles Wesley. Our legacy is rooted with Phineas Brzee and Joseph Whitney and a hundred others as they organized the Church of the Nazarene in Los Angeles in 1895. We celebrate their call to be sanctified by the power of the Spirit and preach the gospel to the poor. And we remember the move of God at Pilot Point, Texas in 1908 as the, step, as, as the steps were taken to fully unite us as a church, ensure that the message of holiness was preached around the world, did you know that in 1915, so just seven years after the church was officially established, that in, 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 in just seven years, the Nazarene church had expanded to 14 different world areas in just seven years. Also, by 1998, the, the amount of global Nazarenes, Nazarenes outside of the United States and Canada, had exceeded the number of Nazarenes within the United States and Canada. More than 50% of all of our members were global. We're not part of the United States or Canada by 1998. Our past is evidenced in how God has blessed us. 
and our heritage is an inheritance for us today. So as we remember our heritage, as we look at how we're structured and, and, and what we're about, I hope that this will give you a fresh expression of the church that you're part of, that will help you recognize that, number one, God has put you exactly where he, he wants you and that you can make a difference uh, through our church. And we, we need to be thankful for who we are. I am so thankful that we are part of a group uh, that is much larger than just our church. So now what I want to do for the rest of the day, and this is going to be a little bit of an information download, and it may be boring to some, it may be for some of you, it might be fascinating, but I want to give you a picture of how we're structured as a church, how the church of the Nazarene is structured. And so in the, in the concept of we are Christian, we want to identify ourselves with, with Jesus himself, with Christ. We, 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 we want to uh, not neglect the preaching of his word. We, we will never sugarcoat or downplay what God's word says about things. Secondly, as a holiness people, we believe we are set apart to be used by God, and we believe that a holiness group of people can live a life that is in the world, but not of the world. Okay? And we also believe that we are missional, which means we go well beyond the walls of this church. In fact, we're going to be missional today when Blessing Wagon heads out in the snow. So, we are the Church of the Nazarene. We are the largest Wesleyan holiness denomination in the world. We are in 30, uh, we have 30, currently, just, just as of this weekend, we have 30,875 churches across the world. We are in uh, with 2.616 uh, 2,616,741,000 members. That's a lot of people. We are in 164 world areas. So check that out. 1915, 14 world areas. Today, we're in 164 different world areas. We're divided into six world regions, and they're Africa, Asia Pacific, Eurasia, Mesoamerica, South America, and then the United States and Canada. And historically, in, in, in all churches, there are uh, they're just ba they're basically three patterns of church government. And so how many of you have been in another denomination before? Um, how many of you have been in um, a denomination, uh, maybe Lutheran, Presbyterian, um, or even Catholic? Anybody? Okay. So today what I'm going to show you is that generally all of, a, all of these churches will have uh, they'll, 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 t they'll adopt a form uh, of, a, a basic form, a pattern of church government. And there's three main patterns. The first pattern is Episcopal. Now, in the Episcopal uh, form of church government, uh, bishops are elected or are appointed, and they make most of the basic decisions for all the churches. And so you have a group of elected leaders that make basically all the decisions, all the choices. The bishops will then appoint pastors, um, and the voice of the lay people, the voice of the people in the church, has very little say. So in the Episcopal form of church government, it's mainly the, the leadership above the local church that makes all the decisions. The second form of church government, second pattern, is what we call congregational. Now, the congregational form of church government would be uh, uh, some fundamental Baptist churches, Mennonite kind of religions, um, they practice more of a congregational form of government. Now, in the congregational form of church government, local members, just the local members uh, and the, the local pastor generally have control. 
they have very few ties to anyone outside of their small group and, um, uh, or a, a larger denomination. And they, they're independent. They make all their decisions uh, in, their, in their single congregation. So that's a congregational form of government. The third is Presbyterian. Now, the Presbyterian form of government, form of church government, there are no bishops, and local churches are part of a larger group of churches, larger units, and they're represented by the clergy and the lay representatives. And they band together and form groups. Now, we borrow from all three. From all three of those patterns of church government, we borrow. We borrow from the Episcopal model in the fact that we have superintendency on our, at a global level and a district level. And I'll, I'll show you that in just a few minutes. But we have a district uh, level of superintendency and we have a global level of superintendency. So we borrow from the Episcopal form with having superintendents over us. We also borrow from the congregational model or pattern of church government because as a local church, you have the ability to call your own pastor. You have the ability to set your own budgets, set your own mission and vision. And then we borrow from the Presbyterian form of government, church, or pattern of church government, because we partner with other Nazarenes around our district to come together as one. So we do, uh, from, the, from the Episcopal, we borrow this role of superintendency. And so on the screen you will see, um, we have uh, the Church of the Nazarene, we elect as a global church six general uh, superintendents. They serve a term and then they're reelected. Um, there's an age limit on them, unlike the United States Senate. Uh, there is a time when they cannot serve any longer. Uh, and so we have, um, they have, they operate on four-year terms and they can be elected for um, uh, additional terms. Uh, so those are our current six general superintendents. Um, they are Dr. Gustavo Crocker, Dr. Eugenio Duarte, um, uh, Dr. Carla Sundberg, Dr. David Graves, Dr. Falamba uh, Chambo, and Dr. David Busick. Got them all right. There will be a test later. I hope you were writing notes on the back of your bulletin. So these six individuals, they supervise an individual world area. So if you've ever been to district assembly, which we'll talk about in a few minutes as a church, you know that one of those general superintendents every two years they have a two-year term of serving at our district assembly, and they, they uh, help uh, facilitate our district assembly every year, which we will talk about in a second. We're a part of a global church. Like I said, 164 world areas, 30,000-plus churches, 2.6-plus million members. Uh, every four years, we come together as a denomination and do what we call our general assembly. Anything that is changed about our church government, our articles of faith, anything that is uh, about who we are as Nazarenes is determined at our, uh, at our general assembly. Now, because of COVID, we did not have general assembly um, a year and a half ago when we should have. And so we will have general assembly in 2024, I believe. And so that will be our next one. Generally, it's in Indianapolis, Indiana, so it's not very far. In fact, if you really love being a part of the Church of the Nazarene, and you just have a day you want to drive over and check out General Assembly. It's kind of a cool experience. We, we take over uh, the, where the Colts play football, kind of, and Lucas Oil, whatever it's called. The National Championship was there as well. Anyway, we have, uh, and so in General Assembly, you'll have Nazarenes from 164 different world areas. And it's a pretty cool experience. Um, 
Whoops, that's not what I... Can you hit my, get me back in there? I'm not singing. <laughs> I got spinning wheels of sparkles behind me. Okay, now our global headquarters is located in Lenexa, Kansas. That's a picture of it. Much of the day-to-day business is handled there. I want to tell you a cool story about the, 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 our uh, global headquarters. A um, few years ago, uh, our denomination used to have a mortgage end of our church where churches could borrow money from our denomination to build churches. And we, ju- we decided that we didn't want to be in the mortgage holding business anymore. So Wesleyan Foundation, the Wesleyan Foundation, purchased the mortgage business of uh, the Church of the Nazarene. It was a big deal. And we had just constructed this global ministry center in Lenexa, Kansas. And it is 100% paid for not financed because of that restructure in uh, stewardship from our denomination. So this is in Kansas City or Lenexa, Kansas, is where all the day-to-day business is handled. Um, I'm missing a couple slides there. I'm going too fast. Oh, there we go. So there's the building. So our general church provides resources to us through Sunday school material, provides resources through us for district uh, youth and children's ministries, and then on the global mission field as well. So we have a general church. On, uh, that, is the, uh, that is over all of our districts. We also are part of a district. Did you know that you are part of the North Central Ohio District Church of the Nazarene? Which is crazy as well. Did you know that in Ohio, there are five Nazarene districts? Which blew me away. When God started to put this little, this little impression on me to be open to a transition, he told me, God spoke audibly to me. He said, I want you to be open to a transition. I want you to send out a fleece to three places, Florida, Arizona, and Ohio. Florida, Arizona, Ohio. Ron shut the doors on purpose, so I can't see what's out there. But anyways, so, so, but when I reached into the, when I kind of reached out to Ohio, I discovered that there are five Nazarene districts. So there are a lot of Nazarene churches in the state of Ohio. Our district church our offices are based at Mount Vernon Nazarene University. And this is our district superintendent. Many of you guys have seen him before, met him before. His name is Pastor Wendell Brown, and that is his wife, Tammy. And uh, Pastor Brown, he supervises uh, our district. He helps establish new churches, helps uh, the current churches stay healthy. Um, he leads our district in a, a number of different ways. Um, as a district, um, we also have a district advisory board. Each of you, as a member of this church, have the opportunity to be elected by this church to go to district assembly and serve as a delegate. And at the, at, at the delegate level, you get to help vote for lay people and pastors to serve on our district advisory board. And that is a team. That's kind of like our church board for the district. And that team helps, Dr., or helps Pastor Brown uh, facilitate the business of our church. It's made up of clergy and lay people. In fact... Julie Gates is in the kitchen working on blessing teams uh, or blessing wagon stuff right now. But Julie Gates is, was elected at our district assembly to be a lay person on our district advisory board, which is pretty cool. And so um, she gets to pass me inside scoop about what's going on in the district. That's kind of cool. Anyhow, so um, our, our DS helps. Uh, he, he does uh, several things. He's also elected. He's elected for a term. And um, when his term is up, we reelect or move on to a different uh, 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 district superintendent. Um, he facilitates over our district assembly. What you see here is a picture from our uh, last year's district assembly, the ordination service. I'm in the crowd there somewhere. 
Um, they make us get up on stage and sing. Uh, we have to, there's a pastor's choir, which I hate. I just stand next to somebody and um, ride their coattails the whole way. And so we have a district assembly every year. At district assembly, we celebrate what's happened in our churches in the previous year. We ordain and issue local minister's license and district, li or district licenses to new pastors. And so you're, this picture is part of our ordination service. Um, our district uh, superintendent and our district advisory board helps uh, do a few things. Here's a partial list. Number one, one of the main roles of our district is the examination and education and advancement of people who sense a call to ministry. And so if you're part of our church and you have kind of started hearing God's voice like I heard in July of 2000, and you, you're wrestling with, is God calling me some, to something greater? Our church, our denomination, has an incredible uh, process uh, and, and way for somebody, no matter what season of life you are in, to respond to a call of God on their lives and to see that uh, move forward to the point of ordination. And so if you, um, if you have sensed a call of God on your life and you're like, I know God's calling me to something, I, that your first step should be to come and talk to me, your pastor. Because as a church, what we do is if somebody responds to a call of God, we issue them, and we support that, we issue them a local minister's license. And then our district jumps on board about a year later and uh, helps their progress by putting them in a program of examination and advancement. And so um, if you sense a call of God, you start with your local church, and then eventually the district will help you with that process. And the district uh, facilitates that. So, which is kind of interesting because when you get to that final place of ordination, the general church, the general superintendent does the ordination service, but the district, the local district that you're on, is what recommends you to the general church for ordination. So it's not like somebody that you've never met, or that you haven't had any really contact or any influence on you is ordaining you. The local church and the district who's brought you through this whole process is the one that recommends you to be ordained. Um, the district also works on planting new churches, helping our current churches uh, stay healthy and active. If there's a pastoral transition, which you guys just went through, the district superintendent, superintendent comes in and helps you with that process. The district is also responsible for helping uh, coordinate all district activities for children and youth. Did you know that we have district youth and children's camps? So at, during the summer, parents, you can send your kids away for a week at a time uh, and have that week to yourselves. And just maybe your child might come home better off than when you put them on the van to head them off to church camp. So uh, I've reached out to the district, and in the next few weeks, you're going to hear some dates and some information about camps that you can send your kids away uh, for. And then um, our, our district is responsible for helping carry on the mission and vision of the church, which is to go and make disciples of all nations. So we're part of a district church. Now, our local church then kind of ends up underneath that. Now, in our form of government, the local church, the pastor... Is, um, is, is the spiritual leader of the local church. I'm elected by you uh, at the membership. In fact, when, after we came and interviewed, two weeks after we came and interviewed, you guys voted. Um, there were two no votes. I'm still trying to figure out who those two people were. When they surface, no, I'm just kidding. 
But um, so as, a, as your pastor, I was elected to be your pastor. Uh, there's a review process that we go through as pastors. So at the end of two years, when I've been here for two years, our church board will meet with our district superintendent, review how we're doing, and the church will recommend to keep moving forward or maybe something else needs to happen. And then every four years after that, the pastor is reviewed uh, with the district superintendent. Uh, but in those mean times, as your pastor, uh, I'm kind of the chief, uh, chief officer of the church. Uh, I went back. Um, I chair our church board, leading guide, and, and all those kind of things. I want you to know something about me, though, or about all of our pastors. We chair the church board, but no Nazarene pastor is a voting member of the board. Your elected board leadership makes all the decisions as far as um, how we spend them. I mean, basically, you know, anything that, that has, to be, uh, has to receive board approval, the pastor has no vote in that. Um, and so... Uh, the task of the pastor is twofold, administration, including chairing the church board, representing the district and general church, um, then in ministry, uh, obviously preaching the word, uh, building up believers in faith, and caring for the spiritual needs of the church. And then we have a church board elected. If you are a church board member and you're in the room, would you stand up? So you have Larry Little, Shauna and Michael Matelski, Kelly Sawyer, Darren Rohr in here. We also have Julie Gates, who's not in the room. We have Sean Klein, who's not in the room, Victor, Barbie, who's not in the room, uh, Helen, who is not in the room, Melissa Schaub, who's, where's Melissa? Kids Church. Um, am I forgetting anybody else? So that's our church board. And so in a few months, we will, uh, we will have a nominating committee to nominate current members of our church to potentially be board members for the next year. And in May, will vote for our new church board moving forward. And so that church board uh, is elected by you, and they help us carry out the spiritual vision of our church, help us be good stewards of what God is blessing us with. Uh, in fact, we, we always need good financial leaders to be part of uh, the church, but we also need people who have a vision, who have a vision and a, and a, and a desire for our church to grow and be more than it is. Because a lot of times, in our local church leadership, it's very easy for us to spend a lot of times on how do we keep the lights on and, and fixing furnaces and those kind of things when God really wants us to, to be at, as, as focused as we are internally, God wants us to be focused outwardly. And so we, we really are looking for people to be in leadership in our church that um, have an outward vision for how God might use them. And so you can serve as a church uh, board member as well. So that's a bunch of information for you uh, today on just kind of how our church is structured. Next week, we're going to dig deep into what we believe as the Church of the Nazarene. The Church of the Nazarene, number one, we're a global community. I think that that's cool. I think that it's really awesome to think that this local group right here is part of a bigger group of people with a greater influence. Did you know that you're part of a church that the minute a disaster happens, uh, whether it's in the United States, Canada, or across the world, most likely, the minute it happens, Nazarenes are mobilizing somewhere, whether it be through sending supplies or sending people. We, we do ministries called crisis care kits where literally, I guarantee you, when those tornadoes went through 
uh, the South just not long ago, I guarantee you that within a day or so, Nazarene crisis care kits were on the ground. They were there. Um, so it's neat to, and it, it, it's encouraging for me to know that we're part of a bigger group of people with a global presence. I love the fact that we are Christian people. I love the fact that we identify with Christ. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about how this whole thing started with the dirt, dirt poor carpenter and all of a sudden in the, in the midst of of great adversity, the church was born. And days after Jesus went to heaven, he ascended into heaven, the church was born on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people came to Christ and it's just been growing ever since. And we're part of this, this uh, not only a global group of Christians, but a global group, what we call the Church of the Nazarene. I love the fact that we're, we're a holiness people, that we truly believe that God can set us apart to do things greater. That we, we can be part of the world, but we, well, we don't have to be of it. We can be difference makers. We can be trendsetters. We can be change agents in the world. And, I, and I'm grateful that we are missional. A lot of times I think um, in local churches, we love the fact that we are missional people. We love the fact that we send our, our faith promise money and dollars globally. But I want to tell you one of the most encouraging things about when I came to be your pastor was finding out about this ministry right here. That you, twice a month, send people from this church out into those streets and, and serve food to the people that need it the most in our communities. That's a big deal. To see a group of people be willing to sacrifice like you do for this ministry was one of the things that drew me to your ministry, to this church. The other thing I think uh, that, that I hope you catch at some point is that uh, as a church, we will be missional. And I kind of have this thought that someday we're going to have two or three of those trailers. Wouldn't that be cool? Two or three of those trailers. Maybe someday we had a part of this church where people could come on a weekly basis and have their needs met. Because needs met. we're a missional people. And that's our heritage. That's our heritage. We're part of a rich legacy. And our past, everything that has happened before today is evidence of how God has blessed us. And that heritage is our inheritance. Who we are as a church, who we are as a a district family, and who we are as a general church, it's an inheritance for us today. And remembering our heritage ensures a fresh expression of what God is doing. What God is capable of doing. God is calling us to be a Christian people. God is calling us to be a holy people. And God is calling us to be missional. Let me tell you one more story and then we're going to wrap up today. Um, I want to share with you what a difference a small group of people like us can, can make. There's a church in Hermiston, Oregon. Um, a friend of mine pastors, a guy named Eric Fritz. And it, it wasn't on our district, um, so you've seen a little bit of the, how the district is laid out. And, and I looked for a map of Ohio to see if they had the, the five different districts uh, outlined, but I couldn't find it. But in Oregon, the state of Oregon, we, have, um, we actually have uh, three districts that touch Oregon. We were part of the Oregon Pacific District, which was essentially up and down I-5 to the Oregon coast to the central Oregon, the, the mountains in Bend, Oregon. From Bend 
uh, east, those churches are part of the Intermountain District. So Pastor Eric, he pastors Hermiston Church of the Nazarene, part of the Intermountain District. So uh, we didn't get to uh, communicate very much, but he was a youth pastor in Newport, Oregon uh, before he ended up be, uh, becoming the senior pastor there. Eric's been pastoring this church for quite a while. They're, they're about 120, 140 people. So they're, they're about our size overall. They're very similar sized church. Um, they, they got this vision. They got this idea that God had called them in the month of December to raise money to dig wells in a region of Asia that, ha- that did not have clean, fresh drinking water. So they had a goal. They wanted to raise $16,000 in the month of December to build 14 wells in Asia. 30 days, 31 days, they were going re- to just encourage anyone and everyone that's part of their church family to give and whatever they raised, they were going to send to Asia to dig wells. They wanted $16,000 to dig 14 wells. In 31 days, that church, that local group of people just like us, they raised $162,000. They're going to dig 116 wells in Asia. Do you know how many? 116 villages in Asia are going to have wells dug in the name of Hermiston Church of the Nazarene. 140 people who sacrificed for 31 days and gave financially. That's amazing. And God can do the same with us. When he gives us a vision for something, when God is in it, God will provide. And the cool part about it is he connects us together. One more story, one more story. What time is it? Okay, one more story. Here's something that, that our church has done. So do you guys know uh, little Kim Matevia? Todd and Kim, their family? Kim is from Guatemala. And so Kim has some relatives down in Guatemala, and there's a community that is struggling to put food, food on the table. They're just, they've been struggling to put food on the table. Her sister is connected with a group of people, and we wanted to do, our church wanted to do something about it. And so like 3,000, you guys raised like $3,000 to send to this, to this group. But we didn't know how we could get it there and make sure that it would get used in the right way. So literally, for like almost a year and a half, almost two years, this $3,000 has sat in our church bank account wanting to be sent to Guatemala. And we hadn't been able to figure it out until I got here. And when I was told about this, I was like, well, wait a minute. There's got to be Nazarene churches in the area. And if there are Nazarene churches in the area, there's got to be a work and witness coordinator in the area. So we, I emailed the general church and I said, I need to find out. I texted uh, 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 the, the work and witness coordinator for the entire denomination. I said, hey, how do I find a work and witness coordinator in this area? Because we got money that we've been sitting on for two years. He put me in touch with somebody. He put me in touch with another, another person. Before too long, we're emailing. And I t- in December, we sent the first $650 to this little community through the Global Church of the Nazarene that's going to help put food on the table for a community that's been suffering and struggling to do that for years. And we're going to send $650 a month until that $3,000 is spent. But we wouldn't have been able to get it there and have accountability of it being there without being part of a bigger group of people. And so literally we sat on something for two years 
and a few emails and a couple of calls. And now we know exactly where to send it so that it makes the biggest impact on a small group of people. And you guys did that. You guys did that. And that's really cool. So over the next few weeks, this might take us longer than three weeks. But at the end, you're going to really have a good understanding of who we are as a church and where we're heading. I hope I didn't bore you too much with a bunch of information download. But it's a cool group of people that we're part of. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you do knit us together and you, you put us together in a way that is not coincidental. It is on purpose. I remember when, when Kristen and I, when I got saved and we started going to this Nazarene church and everything changed. Our lives changed because of, not, number one, what you did in my life individually and what you did in our life as a couple. But then you, the transformation was, was nurtured through this church, the Church of the Nazarene that we were part of in Eugene. And Lord, it was amazing how every time I turned around, opened the pages of your word, got to know who the church was and what they believed, how every single time it lined up with exactly who I was and who you were transforming me into. And that's the beauty of this. I think in a lot of times when people go through the process of looking at who we are as a church of the Nazarene, they recognize through the process that, God, you did this on purpose. You, you brought us right here to this place on purpose. There wasn't a coincidence about it. And I think that, that, that number one, that's, that's encouraging. That, God, that you are so divine that you direct our paths to even landing in a local church. I think so many times we then get lost or sideways along the way and sometimes we might even leave a church because we got sideways with the pastor or we got sideways with somebody else in the church or maybe we quit serving or we quit, quit giving or we quit doing this because we got sideways this way or the other way. But I think, God, if we could all remember that you don't, you don't put us places that we're not supposed to be. You, you don't lead us in a path that isn't the way that you want it to be. And it's sometimes, Lord, it, it, it's challenging. It's tough. It's difficult. But God, if you're in it, then no one can be against it. And if you're in it, things way bigger and greater than, 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 than the sum of our parts here can be done and can be achieved. And so I, my prayer is over the next few weeks, as we open your word and we we intertwine it with who we are as a church of the nazarene that god you just reconfirm in the hearts of our people that this is exactly where i'm supposed to be and i pray against satan's lies that may tell somebody in this process no maybe this isn't where i'm supposed to be maybe i'm i don't believe that maybe i don't feel as firm on that issue or that that subject or maybe i got sideways with this person or that person and i'm going to use this as an opportunity to bail use this time lord not not only to grow us together and bond bind us together but to create this this strength among us that defeats satan in every aspect of schemes to try to tear us apart and may God, you receive the glory and the honor. May you help us to recognize that 
God, you do everything on purpose in our lives. And maybe, just maybe, there's somebody in our congregation that's wrestled with the call of God. And through this process, they will recognize that call of God in their lives. And they'll, they'll begin a process of saying, hey, I feel called to more than just who I am and what I am right now. And God, you'll provide a way for them to be all you designed them to be. And may you will receive all the glory and all the honor for everything that we do and say. And may you connect us deeper together as a church family, as a church that is, that is much bigger than, than, than what's within these four walls today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you guys. Have a great day. We're going to go out in the snow. Want to chase the blessing wagon? We'll take you.